0: If you have your Bible, want to stand with me, Hebrews chapter twelve, uh, verses one through three. I'm going to complete or finish our study through Hebrews eleven. Now go ahead and uh, notice the irony. We're in Hebrews twelve. I said when we started, as a matter of fact, we didn't start in Hebrews eleven. We started in Hebrews ten, about verse thirty-eight, and and I said then it was going to be an expanded study, and this will be the last lesson. And it takes in the first three verses of chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the mercy of God. and Thank you for the grace of God that's already working in this house. I'm asking the next few minutes that you allow the Holy Ghost, Lord, just to move through this little passage of Scripture, Lord, and speak into every heart and every life. Touch us, change us, challenge us, God. Let us grow in our faith in you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. There's a very important question that every sermon strives to answer it's the question that your 16 year old teenage son spurts off in that moment that you want to box him about the ears so what why does it matter to me why is it important to me How does that impact my life? I know it matters to you, but why does it matter to me? That's the question that every preacher strives to answer as he's preaching the Word of God. Amen. We try to bring you a thought and let you know how it affects your life, how it impacts your life, why it matters to you. We come to that place now in this Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and and the beginning of chapter 12 these first three verses of chapter 12 the the Hebrew writer attempts to answer that same question after spending 14 weeks of studying through the various examples of faith that that he has provided for us to see in the word of God we now turn to the application of what we've heard. This is why it matters. This is why it's important to you. This is why it impacts your life, amen. And, and we also, in this final so what passage, we also see the greatest example of faith that is going to be set before us, and that is Jesus Christ, amen. So we'll go phrase by phrase through the, through the text, starting with chapter 1. And chapter 1 begins this, or verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 12. Verse 1 begins this way, Wherefore, seeing we also are composed about, with, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Amen. That first word, wherefore, ties this whole thing back. To the previous chapter it ties it back to chapter 11 this is why we include this passage it's the culmination it's the the ending of the thought that started in chapter 11 the author is about to introduce to us what we're supposed to do now that we've heard all of these stories about the faithful through the ages but first he wants us to recognize that whatever we do we're going to do it compassed about or surrounded by a great cloud of, of witnesses you may say well who is that who's that great cloud of witnesses those are the heroes of faith that have gone before so those, those examples we've been discussing now for 14 weeks uh, amen all those stories that appear in hebrews chapter 11 that is that great cloud of witnesses uh, they stood fast in their faith they came up against obstacles they came up against hindrances they they battled through trials and and they reached for things unseen uh, amen in regard Regardless of everything that they faced, they prevailed in faith. Amen? Amen. The rider here envisions a grand arena, the same sort that might be used for an athletic competition. And, and the illustration he's about to use is that of a long-distance race. That's why he, he starts that race in this auditorium or this arena, this stadium, if you will. Amen. And, and, and that's where a race like that would have began. And the important thing about an arena is not the surroundings as much as it is the crowd. Amen. That crowd that gathers in the arena surrounds you. And those folks in the stands who are shouting encouragement to you, that are calling out your name, that are that are, are saying you can do this. Uh, we're pulling for you, amen. They're they're telling you that that, that that this is this is the this is your moment, this is your hour. You're our man. You're our team, amen. And we're pulling. For, they may even be doing the wave, amen. But whatever they're doing, they're doing it. In in a, in a sense of encouragement to the athlete on the field, and Paul and uh, the writer of Hebrews' point is very simple. Amen. He's telling us that the athlete draws energy and encouragement from the crowd. And so it's, it's beneficial to us then to remember that we may appear in that same kind of arena in a spiritual realm, uh, amen. And all these heroes of faith uh, that we talked about these 14 weeks uh, are arrayed in the stadium around us uh, and they're cheering for us, uh, amen. They're calling out to us. They're encouraging us. Uh, the point isn't so much to say that uh, they those who went before you are watching you as much as it is to say that you should draw encouragement you should draw energy from what you've just seen from the testimony of the saints of god through the ages they've been through the trials They've they walked through the trouble. They've faced the obstacles. They've they they they've been challenged by God to build boats when it's never rained before. Amen. They've been challenged by God to leave their country and their kindred and their family and everybody behind and go to a land they've never seen before. Amen. They've been challenged by God to step out on faith and, and grab a hold of things unseen. Uh, and they've kept the faith. Uh, and they've won the race. Uh, and they have prevailed. Uh, and if they did it, then so can you. You, that's the point amen so he goes on and he says let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us so with that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us and encouraging us on, he now turns to our preparation for the race in ancient Rome in this time period in which the writer is writing Stadium runners typically raced in a nearly naked state. They they didn't wear very much clothing because the clothing was a hindrance to them. But they didn't enter the arena that way. They came into the arena wearing long flowing colorful robes that 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 were each was individual make you might think about the boxer the way the boxer comes into the arena wearing a, a, a you know if you're if you're a rocky balboa fan it says the italian stallion you know that, that the boxer comes in wearing that 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 robe is the regalia it's what sets him apart well those runners came into that ancient roman stadium with that same kind of a uh, pomp and Circumstance, these long, flowing, colorful robes that that distinguished them and set them apart and, and declared who they were and declared their, their victories and the things they had accomplished. But before the race begins, they take the robes off and they set them aside. Anything that might hinder them as they run has to be discarded. And so as the Hebrew writer turns from... Uh, turns his focus from the the other heroes of faith we talked about and begins to look at us and our preparation for this race he gives us this instruction he tells us to lay aside every weight and sin that might slow us down as we run our race just like that that runner had to put aside that garment as a matter of fact the word translated lay aside that's exactly what it means it means to take off something like taking off a garment it's in colossians chapter 3 and verse 8 and there it says but now also ye now ye also put off that's the same word lay aside all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. It's a concept that, that extends throughout the New Testament, this idea that just like I can take off this jacket, amen, I, there are some things I need to take off. There are some things I need to put out of my life. There are some things I need to lay aside, amen. And, and I don't want to get those things away from me because they weigh me down. They, they make me uh, not run the race as well as I should run the race, amen. The, the, those things that were commanded to lay aside—they are both weights and sins—and and both both of the, the both texts, both the one that we read in Hebrews and the one we read in Colossians, use the same verb, and it, it describes that action of taking off. And so, uh, we're not like the Roman run, Roman runners; we we don't take off our clothes to run a race. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But we, in a spiritual sense, there's some things you need to take off. In a spiritual sense, there's some things you need to set aside. In a spiritual sense, there's some things that hinder you, that that impair your ability to run the race. And, and the writer of Hebrews lists those things in, in two categories. There are weights and there are sins. Uh, amen. Weights are things that slow you down, and th- sins are things that easily entangle you. Amen. The Greek word used to describe every weight is a word that was used in ancient times to describe the extra body weight that a runner would seek to lose before a race began, perhaps through intense training. You know, in between races, in between victories, maybe he he's put on a few pounds. And then the race is coming up, and he realizes, if I'm going to win the race, David, i got to get rid of a few pounds. And so he hits the gym, amen. He starts running the, out in the running around the, the countryside, and every single day he's out there pushing himself. Why? Because he's trying to tone up his body. He's trying to lose that extra weight because that extra weight will slow him down, amen. So sometimes we pick up some things in our life that will slow us down, Perhaps unintentionally. You know, I, I don't ever I never intend to gain weight, amen. Go right into the holiday season and pick up ten or fifteen extra pounds and, and and never even meant to do that. Never even had another a thought about it. It just it just seems to happen. And sometimes that's the way weights come into your life. Amen. They're they're things that are not necessarily sin, but they're things that keep us from running the race well and we tend to just pick them up along the way. They tend to just be added to our lives, and they they hinder our ability to walk by faith. They may cause us to stumble and fall, and they may cause us to lose our way. They may cause us not to be able to run the race with the, the energy that it takes to win the race. Amen. And then finally, there are those things we call sin. Amen. Let's clean up the language first. He he says in, in that verse, The sin which doth so easily beset us. The Greek word translated as easily beset would be better translated as easily entangles us. It conveys the image of something that winds around the body and binds our movement. Maybe the writer has in his mind the flowing garment that the runners wore into the stadium, into the arena before the race began, and if by chance one of those runners—he never would—but if he left that garment on, then it might wrap around him and it might hinder his ability to run. It might trip him and cause him to fall out of the race. And so the the writer of Hebrews likens these weights are these things that kind of we pick up and they hinder us and they slow us down, and and they're not exactly on the level of sin, but they're they're things that we need to get out of our life. We need to put aside. We need to, we need to put those things down because they keep us from running the race we're supposed to, the way we're supposed to run the race. But then there are these sins and these sin is something that entangles you. Sin is something that binds you. It's something that gets wrapped around you. Amen. It doesn't just slow you down. It'll make you fall down. Amen. It'll put you out of the race. Amen. Uh, and so the writer takes the time uh, to tell us we need to get rid of those things. Uh, we need to Get shed of those few extra pounds. Uh, We need to get shed of those things that weigh us down while we try to run. Uh, And nobody runs uh, with something that can wrap them up uh, and entangle them. Uh, You get that off. You get rid of that. Amen. You can't run this race with sin uh, as your companion. Uh, You can't run this race uh, with sin constantly present in your life. Uh, It hinders your ability to be what God's called you to be. And to finish the race that he's called you to run. Amen? Amen. So just as we're to lay aside the weights that slow us down, we're to get rid of those sins that might entangle us. And the writer's taking the time to share this great cloud of witnesses with us to encourage us to finish the race we started in spite of every hindrance. But both weights and sins have the ability to keep us from finishing the race and we started this thing to win it amen Amen. the next passage says and let us run with patience the race that is set before us let's deal with the language again the greek word translated as patience is a word for endurance or persistence now patience is may be one way to describe endurance. And, and perhaps in back in the 16th century or 17th century, whenever uh, Shakespeare was writing his poems, maybe patience carried more of a sense of, uh, of endurance. But today, we tend to look at patience in our Western mindset. Patience usually carries the connotation of standing around waiting, standing still. Amen. You got to have patience when you go to the DMV. Anybody know about that? You're going to stand around for a while. Amen. Matter of fact, you need patience when you're dealing with any government agency. You're going to stand around a little bit. Amen. All those road workers, county road workers, they got a lot of patience. Amen. But it, it's not. That's not the concept that it, the rider is trying to get across. That's that's the wrong image. The image here. Is that of pressing on through every hardship, through every trial? through every heartache, striving to reach the finish line, refusing to quit. That's what he means by patience, uh, endurance, uh, persistence, uh, pressing on. Uh, amen. I'm not going to give up. Uh, I'm not. It doesn't matter what comes against me. It doesn't matter what I encounter along the way. I'm in this thing to win it, uh, and I'm going to keep running, uh, and I'm going to keep pushing, uh, and I'm going to keep pressing that word also describes the race that we run the race we run is an endurance race it's not a sprint amen a sprint is over quickly I, I, I read somewhere this week and I, it didn't even occur to me while I was writing this but I read somewhere this week they said that if you got a hundred people that could run a hundred a, a yard dash from that group you might have one could run 100 miles there's a difference the short race is quick the short race anybody can run the short race now you might not run it well but even i can drag my carcass 100 yards down the track i may be huffing and puffing when i get there but i can run that race but the race we're talking about is an endurance race. It's a long-distance race. It's a, it's a race that covers a lot of time and space. Uh, amen. And It's a kind of race that you don't run it quickly. The Hebrew writer didn't say, let us run swiftly. Uh, the Hebrew writer didn't say, let us run as fast as we can. Uh, the Hebrew writer said, let us run with persistence. Uh, let us run with endurance. Uh, let us run with patience. The prize doesn't go to the fastest runner. There are no points for style. The prize goes to the one that makes it to the end. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hang in there. Keep running. Keep pushing. Keep pressing. Don't give up now. Don't back down now. Uh, don't, 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 Don't turn away now. Keep pressing on. Keep running the race. That's the message that the Hebrew writer is sending to his audience. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for race is the Greek word from which we derive the English word agony. It's agon. The race is not easy. It can be a source of agony. It's not for the faint of heart. You're gonna endure some trials and some heartaches, and you're gonna run through some difficult terrain, and you're gonna face some difficult obstacles. Uh, amen. There's some agony involved in that. You know, I can run the hundred yards. And it's not gonna be that much agony. I can survive that. But buddy, if you tell me I gotta run hundred miles, yeah, there's some agony in that, amen. I can tell you right now, I'm not gonna make it to the finish line. I'm just gonna collapse somewhere. Somewhere along the way. But the writer says, uh, Amen. Faced with that task of running that long race before us, uh, he encourages us to keep pressing on, uh, keep running the race, uh, keep striving to gain the prize of eternal life. Verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So now we get to the final, most powerful example of faith. Having reminded us of those who ran before us, those that we've, we've covered over the last 14 weeks, now the Hebrew writer points to Jesus Christ as our ultimate example. Look to Jesus, he says. That that Greek term means to fix your eyes on Jesus. It carries the connotation of looking away from everything else, ignoring. You know you put blinders on a horse or on a mule when you're getting ready to plow. And there's a reason why you put blinders on a horse and a mule. It's not because you don't want them uh, to have freedom of sight to see. It's because the things on the side distract them. The things on their side. You got to have get a horse a tunnel vision. Amen. You got to point out that plow that 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 workhorse that stock horse with that's pulling that plow needs to have a tunnel vision. He needs to be looking at the destination. That's what the the writer is saying to you and I. You need to you need not to look at all the things around you. You need not to look at all the stuff that's happening. God, amen. Look away from everything else and fix your eyes on Jesus. Sometimes we struggle to run the race simply because. We've got our eyes fixed on the wrong things. Amen. Sometimes we give entirely too much attention to the trouble, and the struggle, and the problem. And we worry. I'm a worrier. Amen. We worry. We can't sleep at night. We we we're to wake up in the middle of the night, and you're churning the problem over and over in your mind. You need to change your focus. You need to get your eyes uh, on your Redeemer. That's where your help's coming from, amen. That's where the answer's coming from. All my thinking and worrying and all my fretting and planning isn't going to fix anything, uh, amen. I need to get my eyes on Jesus. Uh, that's who I'm following. That's who I, I'm pursuing. That's the race I'm running, and he's going to take care of all that other stuff, Amen. Amen. So sometimes we struggle simply because we need to get our eyes off of our troubles. We need to get our eyes off of our obstacles. We need to forget about the hardships that we endure and fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith begins in him and it ends in him. I want to use just a short passage from the beginning of Hebrews chapter six and verse twenty. If you throw that verse up there, just the very beginning passage. It says, "Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus." Now, just stopping right there. I don't want to have to go and explain all the rest of that verse. But what it's telling us is that Jesus Christ is the forerunner. He's the one who ran before us. He's the one who went before us. We run the trail that he has blazed. Amen. That's why we look to Jesus. We're running the trail that he has established, and and he finished his race. Amen. So the one who originated our faith, he is the author of our faith. He has the ability to bring us to the end of the race. He is the finisher of our faith, and he's going to see you through no matter what you face, uh, no matter what you come up against, uh, no matter what. Struggles crop up in your life. uh, If only you'll fix your eyes on him uh, and run with persistence the race that is set before you. I know that was the end of the last verse, but that that tells us something about the race we run. First of all, Jesus has already run it. Second of all, the boundaries are prescribed. The way has already been determined. The race is set before you. You're not just running a random race. You're not just, just running uh, uh, some kind of random course of events. You're not you're not just at the whim of time and circumstance. The, the race you run is the race that God has set before you. Amen. There's some comfort in that truth. Uh, he orders your footsteps. Uh, he establishes your way. Uh, he directs your path. Uh, and he sets the race uh, before you. Amen. He decides uh, which way you're going to run. Uh, he decides. Which hills you're gonna climb uh, and which valleys you're gonna cross uh, and what rivers have to be transversed. uh, Amen. He sets the course of the race. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing, in the predetermined course of the race that you cannot endure. He promised he's not gonna put more on you than you can bear. And he's the master of the race. Amen. Yeah, there's going to be some trouble. Yeah, there's going to be some heartache. Yes, there's going to be some difficulty. There's some agony involved in the race. But you need to take comfort from the fact that it is your God who orders the race. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it uh, amen so we run uh, and as we run uh, amen we encounter trouble and trial and circumstances uh, and we come up against temptations uh, and we come up against the opportunity to get get all wrapped up in sin uh, Amen. but as we run uh, we have to remember uh, he ordered the race uh, he ordered the path uh, and he hasn't put anything there that we can't overcome by faith amen I don't care I do care how dark your struggle may be I do care how troublesome the trial and the journey may be I do care about your agony but your agony matters little Compared to the provision of God. He's going to take care of you. He's going to see you through. He's going to bring you to. The, he is the author and the finisher. He is the beginner and the ender. Amen. He set it in motion. And he's going to bring it to pass. Amen. That's who he is. Amen. Scripture goes on to say. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame so as we run we fix our eyes on Jesus who is the forerunner in this race he he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him amen we got a race set before us he had joy set before him amen that joy that compelled him to press on that joy that compelled him to endure to have patience, uh, to have persistence, uh, was the knowledge that he was making a way for you and I to triumph over sin in our own lives. That's the joy that's set before him is the fellowship of the church. Uh, it's the fellowship of the redeemed. Uh, he rejoiced in his suffering. Uh, he rejoiced in the middle of the agony of the cross uh, because he considered you and I on our journey, uh, and he knew that his sacrifice uh, would empower us to finish the race amen the phrase endured the cross is the only time in the book of hebrews the only direct reference to the cross of jesus the cross was a terrible thing but jesus the scripture says despised the shame of it he 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 despised it now normally when we think of despising something it means that we avoid it. We we don't want to have anything to do with it, but that's not the way the word is used here. Perhaps, uh, in fact, it's the opposite. What what this means is completely opposite. Maybe, brother Randy, as a kid, maybe as an adult, uh, you found yourself in a pepper eating contest. I say this because he just recently ate an extremely hot pepper on a dare. Amen. Anybody ever done that? Get the jar of jalapenos out of the refrigerator? Me and my cousins used to do it. Those little chili peppers that are in vinegar for white beans, we'd, who can eat the most of them? Amen. The thing about a pepper-eating contest is that peppers are hot. Amen. Even for those of us who like hot stuff, eventually, if you eat enough, it becomes unbearable. Eventually, if you eat enough, it becomes more than you can stand. But if you're in a pepper eating contest, and you're still, there are others that are still eating, then you just ignore the pain, and you keep right on eating the peppers, because you want to win the contest. that makes sense? That's the sense in which the word despised is used. Jesus didn't regard the shame, the suffering of the cross as something that mattered to him amen it was it was he didn't give those things any weight in the matter amen yes it was uncomfortable yes it was agony yes it was terrible yes it was it was a horrific experience Uh, amen but jesus endured the cross Uh, he pressed on through it uh, because he didn't give it any real weight Uh, he didn't get he didn't give it any substance Uh, it didn't matter that it hurt Uh, it only mattered that he wanted to obtain the prize that makes sense So that's the way we're called to run the race. Amen, we're called to run like Jesus did. Amen, we're called to press through the trouble, press through the trial, because there's there's nothing in this world uh, that compares to the glory of a world that is yet to come. Uh, there's nothing in this life uh, that will ever compare. Uh, all the sorrow, amen, will be swallowed up uh, by joy unspeakable uh, and full of glory. Uh, there's nothing in this world uh, that can compare to heaven. And so he says, you're just despising it. Uh, amen, just Don't even count it as something that matters, uh, but press on towards the prize. Amen? Goes on and says, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus Christ sat down. That's an important point that sometimes gets lost in the grand language of this passage. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, was acting as our high priest. He made atonement for us, for our sins. Just like the priest went into the tabernacle daily to offer atonement for sins, Jesus Christ one time went to the cross and he offered atonement for our sins. And so his role relates to the role of the Old Testament priest. And here's the thing you can study, we'll, David will eventually get to the lesson where we're going to study the tabernacle. All the furniture in the tabernacle is important. But as you study the furniture in the tabernacle, there's one thing you're not going to find in the tabernacle. There's one piece of furniture that's missing. There's no chair in the tabernacle. There is no place there to sit down, and there's a reason for that. The reason there are no seats uh, in the tabernacle is because the work of the the priest uh, in the tabernacle is never finished. Uh, It's never done. Uh, The blood of bulls and goats can't take away the sin of the world. It's a constant sacrifice. It's constantly been rolled forward. Uh, It's never complete. But Jesus Christ... The great high priest, uh, amen. When he finishes his sacrifice, he does what no other priest before him ever did. He sat down, he said, It's finished, it's done. It's over with. <laughs> I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The Hebrew writer uh, is born from language uh, that's already been used in chapter 10. And we're going to back up and read that. Uh, remember what he's saying is that there's no more need for a priest uh, in the tabernacle. Uh, that work is finally finished. Uh, it's finally done. Uh, your salvation has been once and for all bought and paid for. Hebrews chapter 10 Beginning in verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That work is never finished. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. On the right hand of God, the right hand here is a a position of power in Scripture, and in this context, it describes the power behind the cross. The final sacrifice of Jesus Christ is secure in all the power and might of God Almighty. Amen. It's a finished work. It's done. And when he breathed his last breath, amen, and when they buried him in a borrowed tomb, and when he came out of that grave on the third day and he ascended into heaven, he sat down and said, it is finished. It's done. Amen. You let the devil, and I I need to get off of this because I'm never going to finish. You let the devil harangue you about your past lord over you about your mistakes and your failures lord oh, and say you you've done you've done too much you've messed up too many times you can never be what god's called you to be amen there, there's there's too much in the in the history books already you need to remember something about the blood of jesus christ uh, amen it covers a multitude of sins uh, amen it covers everything uh, and whenever you get into jesus christ uh, it's done uh, he sat down uh, it's finished uh, amen the blood covers it all amen you need to tell the the devil amen it doesn't matter what you got to say about my past Uh, it's all been cast into the sea of forgetfulness Uh, as far as the east is from the west never to be remembered again amen Amen. verse 3 says for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds now we return to the focus consider him that endured such things that verb consider has to do with contemplation it means to weigh the matter with the utmost care to reflect on it and the Hebrew writer is intensifying the command to fix your eyes on Jesus. Uh, amen. He, he's saying, don't, don't just skim over the details. Uh, don't, don't just skim over it. Uh, consider what he has done. Uh, consider the price that has been paid. Uh, consider the blood that has been shed. Uh, consider the sacrifice. Uh, consider the salvation that has been bought. Think about the endurance of Jesus Christ. Think about the finality of his sacrifice. Think about the power that upholds that sacrifice. And recognize that you, by that same power, can be victorious in the race uh, that you run. Uh, It says that Jesus endured contradiction of sinners. I know this seems to be a broken record this morning, but that word contradiction would be better translated. And and let me explain why I say this. And I've said it several times this morning. This We're reading from the King James Version of the Bible. It was written in the 1600s, the 17th century. Written in the same time that Shakespeare was writing his plays. Do you ever have to read Shakespeare in high school? Yeah, it's a little difficult to read sometimes. Because the words don't always mean the same thing now that they meant then. And there are some words they use that we don't even use anymore. They don't; they're not even in our language anymore. You know who writes an epistle? Amen. We send an email or text. If it's an epistle, it's too long to read anyway. We got to get in 140 characters or less. So the it's not that I'm saying there's something wrong with the translation. I'm saying it don't mean the same thing it used to mean. Amen. And that idea of contradiction would be would be better translated today with the word opposition. Amen. Jesus faced some opposition. Uh, he faced some obstacles. Uh, he came against some things that, that tried to stop him uh, from finishing the course uh, that was set before him. Uh, but if we contemplate the fact uh, that he endured, uh, that he overcame those obstacles, uh, then we begin to recognize that we can do the same thing. That's what causes us not to grow weary and faint in our minds. I don't have time, but the battle is won or lost in between your ears. Amen. In your mind. Don't become weary and faint. Before you ever faint in your faith, you'll faint in your mind. It's all about the mindset. It's all about the perspective. And so that's why it worries me when we come in the house of God and. And and the worship is kind of turned down a notch, and we're kind of worried and struggling. That that's the first step to falling. Amen. That's the first step to missing. That's the first step to not finishing the race. Amen. I'm going to win this thing in my mind. Huh? Amen. I think about the goodness of the Lord. I, I think about all He has done for me. Amen. I begin to think on the things uh, that He's done in my life, uh, and it begins to cause joy. Uh, to, yeah, I don't. I I can look around in my circumstance, uh, and I don't see any reason to rejoice uh, but when I begin to think of his goodness uh, and all he's done for me uh, there's a song that rises up in my soul you can think your way into victory Oh, it's true anyway amen it's absolutely true so that's what causes us not to grow weary and faint in our mind. When we struggle to finish the race, when you feel as if you're nearly overwhelmed, the world cries out to you, take a break, get some rest, stop, stop running for a while, then, then that's when you need to fix your eyes on Jesus and get your eyes on the prize and stop focusing on the problem and start focusing on the answer. That's where your help is coming from, Jesus. Have you got time this morning for a story? In 1983, Australia hosted an ultra marathon. How many know what a marathon is? Something like 24 and a half miles, tremendously beyond my reach. An ultra marathon is a 573.7 mile foot race. It's the distance from Sydney, Australia, to melbourne australia it's a race that takes days to run and when they announced that they were going to run this race professionals from all over the world runners that that had trained and and were skilled and among the best in the world they gathered together there in sydney australia to participate in the race and when the race day finally came in in the, the moments before they would fire the gun to start the runners, a sixty-one year old sheep herder named Cliff Young, wearing overalls and goulashes over his boots, walked up to the registration table and requested a number to enter the race. Now the folks at the registration table thought it was a joke. Somebody was setting them up and they laughed. But Cliff Young said, no, I I really want to run the race. What's it cost? How do I get in this thing? They still thought it was a joke, but they gave him a number anyway. He pinned that number on his old coveralls, and he walked over to the starting line, and he lined up with the rest of those runners. And all those professional runners were decked out in their running regalia. They're wearing their expensive shoes and 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 the, and their fabric of the right clothing, the right. It's all designed to make them run uh, as fast as they can run. Uh, amen. And they looked at him like he's crazy in his overalls and goulashes. The crowd snickered. People began to laugh, and they laughed even more when the gun went off. And the race began because all those professional runners with their sculpted bodies and beautiful strides made their way out and began to run. But not Cliff Young. He didn't even run like a runner. Cliff Young ran with an awkward, goofy-looking shuffle. And all through the crowd, people were laughing at him. At one point, a man lifted his voice and shouted, get that old fool off the raceway. Fast forward. Five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later, at 1:25 in the morning, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line of that 573 mile ultra marathon. and he didn't just finish the race. He won the race. He was the first one to cross the finish line. And he didn't win it by a nose. Uh, It wasn't a photo finish. Uh, The next guy in line wasn't right on his heels. Uh, He didn't win by a matter of minutes uh, or even by an hour or two. Uh, The second-place runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. Cliff Young didn't just finish the race. He didn't just win the race. He set a brand new world record for the ultramarathon. It was absolutely unbelievable. He became an instant hero in Australia. The, the press mobbed him, wondering what, what kind of special running shoes was he wearing. What, what did he do different? What, what, what did he sustain himself? How did he live on those five days? He carried a backpack. He had a backpack the whole time. And in the backpack were pumpkin seeds and water. And that's what he got by on for five days as he ran that race. But finally, a reporter stumbled on this incredible truth. Nobody ever told cliff young that when you run an ultra marathon you run for 18 hours and then you sleep for three or four hours that message didn't get conveyed to him you see cliff young he never really ran he just kind of shuffled along but he also never stopped he never took a break and he shuffled his way to victory He shuffled his way to the finish line. He endured. No, it wasn't pretty. No, it wasn't attractive. No, it wasn't. You don't go to a gym to learn to run like that. Uh, Amen. He just kind of shuffled along step by step, uh, putting one foot in front of the other uh, for five days, uh, 14 hours uh, and four minutes. He didn't sleep a wink. uh, He just kept pressing. uh, He just kept walking. uh, He just kept shuffling along. uh, And he did it all at the age of 61 years old. And in some small way, Chris shows us what it means to run with endurance. Because this is what we're called to do. Just to put one foot in front of the other. You remember the old fable of the tortoise and the hare. It's not about how fast. It's not about how sleek. It's not about how pretty, how how trained and in tune and, and all of that. It's about putting one foot in front of the other and pressing on until you reach the finish line. The prize is there to be claimed uh, to the one that says, I'm not going to turn to the left uh, or to the right. Uh, I'm not going to get distracted. Uh, I'm not going to get weighed down. Uh, I'm not going to let these things encumber me. I'm just going to keep walking. It may may not be pretty uh, it may not look like much uh, i may not make it far today uh, but i'm going to put one foot uh, in front of the other uh, i'm just going to keep walking by faith uh, i'm just going to keep following after jesus Amen. somewhere in the darkness of the night he walks past the lead runner who's sleeping on the wayside but that old man said i'm just not quitting i'm just not stopping I'm just going to keep with it. I'm going to endure to the end. Would you stand with me? Some of the people in this place today are facing very real problems. You're running the race, and you would agree with me this morning, there are obstacles, there are trials, there are tragedies, there's agony in the race. Amen some of you are hurting deeply some of you have been wounded along the way you you've been injured in your spirit you've been injured by the the, the 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 slurs of someone else or the the unkind words that have been spoken and, and there's some that you're you're not well in your body you're sick uh, and your health is sapping you of your strength uh, amen there's some that you're struggling financially uh, and you don't know how you're going to make it uh, and you don't know where you're going to turn uh, and the obstacles uh, have capped your vision, uh, and it's all that you can see uh, is all the reasons why you can't make it, uh, amen. Some of it, when I talk about revival and I talk about God filling this house up, uh, there's some of us that all we can see are the reasons why that can't happen, uh, are the obstacles that stand between us uh, and that, uh, amen. But I come to tell you in this place uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, we're all running the same race. And it's an endurance race. And so I come to you on this Sunday morning with the final message of Hebrews chapter 11 is simply this. Run. Run. Don't stop running. You may stumble. You, you You may find some struggles. It may be get difficult at times. You may find yourself just shuffling along. But keep putting one foot in front of the other. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost flowing in this place right now. I'm going to tell you something. The Spirit of God wants to come alongside somebody that's running in this race. Uh, Amen. Wants to encourage you. Wants to empower you. Uh, Amen. Wants to help you. Uh, Amen. You're wondering how you're going to make it. Uh, You're wondering how you're going to make it to tomorrow or next week. Uh, How you're going to come through this struggle and this trial. Uh, Amen. I come to you with a simple answer. Uh, Just keep on keeping on. Uh, Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, Just keep shuffling down the track uh, because sooner or later you're going to win the race let others sleep let others rest let others turn aside and follow after the cares and concerns of this life but you you keep pressing I hear the voice of the spirit calling this is an endurance race This is not a test of skill. This is not a test of talent. This is not a test of ability. This is a test of perseverance. It's about staying with it. And so we run the race. Come on, somebody. The Holy Ghost is reaching out to you right now, and he's calling you. Step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm going to keep running. I'm not stopping now. I'm not letting up now. I come too far. I've covered too much ground. Uh, There's too much behind me. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep running. Come on, somebody. Why don't you come to this altar? Why don't you find a place of prayer? Why don't you turn your heart towards heaven? Why don't you tell Him, oh, Jesus, I commit myself. I will run one more round, I will run one more mile. I'm going to push through one more step. I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I don't know if I can finish, but I know I can take another step. I don't know if I can reach the end, uh, but I know I can reach the next step, and I'm just going to keep on stepping uh, and keep on walking uh, and keep on following Him. That's the way we're called to run this race. Why don't you call out to Him right now? Holy Ghost anointing. Lord, I feel your presence in this place. I feel the Spirit of God. Lord, you want to come alongside somebody this morning. You want to encourage them. You want to strengthen them. Yes, we're still going to go through the trouble, but we're not going to do it alone. Amen. The anointing of the Holy Ghost is about to come on somebody in this place. Your strength is about to overshadow you. The anointing of God is about to reach down and touch you. Why don't you call out to him right now and tell him, Lord, I need you, Jesus. Can't make it on my own. Can't do it by myself. I don't have the power and the authority and the ability in and of myself. But I'm going to run. And I'm asking you, God, to come alongside of me and be my strength and be my encouragement and be my help, Lord. Why don't you call out to him right now?